Okay, well, good afternoon, everybody. We're glad you tuned in to WNZN Radio from Lorain, Ohio. Uh, this is 89.1 FM Power Radio. And uh, once again, even with the COVID, we're just happy we can still stay active. You know, David, we've had uh, yes. a lot of shows just in this in this brand new year here. We have. And a lot yeah. of special guests, which is really great. It's fantastic. And then we're going to have another good one today in, in, in Seth Gruber and... Uh, Seth, we're very happy that you are agreed coming from the West Coast uh, to to be on our show th this this afternoon, and uh, we're just going to turn it over to you, Seth, and maybe you can introduce yourself and tell us a little about your life story, and how did you get involved in the pro life movement, and then how did uh, this organization, A Voice for the Unborn, start? So once again, Seth, thank you for uh, uh, tuning in, and I, I want you to give out in contact information throughout the show because some of our listeners may want to get in contact with you for more information or how they might get involved or maybe even contact you. So welcome, Seth, and just uh, share your heart with us and uh, tell us a little about your, yourself. Yeah, awesome, John. David, thanks for having me on. Um, so yeah, I'm actually the West Coast Director for Life Training Institute. We're a uh, national pro-life organization with a uh, small but elite team of pro-life speakers. And there are lots of different lanes in the pro-life movement that you're probably aware of. And uh, I'm virtually on board with all of them. They're all very important. Um, our lane happens to be the ideological one, the worldview lane, because ideas have consequences. And bad ideas have victims. And uh, we could go through plenty of historical examples of <clears throat> the victims of very, very bad ideas. Uh, the bad idea behind the abortion worldview is the same bad idea that was behind the justification of the Holocaust and slavery. And that, that bad idea is this. Not all humans are persons. <laughs> of course, Nazis knew that Jews were biologically human. Um, of course, racists knew that blacks were biologically human. But what did they say? They say that they were not persons. And of course, he's going to each the German Supreme Court. Um, denied personhood to Jews, our country denied personhood to blacks at one point, and now our same Supreme Court in the United States of America, the only country built on natural rights and recognition of their source in 1973, also said they, that biological unborn humans are not persons. But it's the same bigoted worldview. And so we engage in the public square by going into Protestant and Catholic high schools, colleges, churches, youth groups, secular university campuses, pregnancy resource center banquets, and conferences to equip and train the next generation, particularly in religious circles, to be a voice for the unborn, to defend the life, while also encouraging those who disagree with us to reconsider their position by examining evidence that they haven't seen or heard before. So very sort of broadly, that's that's what we do. Um, so I'm I'm out here in Ventura County, near LA on the West Coast, and so my focus is on the digital outreach through podcasting, through videos, and then primarily through being on the road and speaking in schools and churches and such. So Seth, uh, let me ask you this: How did you get involved? I mean, or when did you get involved? Maybe just tell us a little of your backstory there. Yeah, sure. So I've actually been a pro-life activist since I was a fetus. Um, and what I mean by that is <laughs> that my mother was uh, directing a pregnancy resource center in L.A. County Whoa. in the early 90s while she was pregnant with me. Um, and so I've been sort of swimming in these waters, uh, no pun intended, for a long time. And uh, even after, rather before I was born, my mother was... Um, housing pregnant women who didn't have a place to live. She was babysitting the babies that they chose to keep um, that needed help raising because they had degenerate boyfriends who weren't around to help. Um, and uh, she stepped down from that position when I was born uh, to homeschool me and my sisters. Uh, but we remained heavily involved with our local pregnancy resource center in LA County. I did the Walk for Life um, fundraiser for that very specific clinic. Every year growing up, went door to door, filling up baby bottles, getting people to sponsor me to walk or to run in the Walk for Life, um, and stood outside the abortion clinics with my mother. My mother continued to do that uh, until she was no longer able to, and she passed in, in 2015. But she was doing that even as she was fighting cancer, and she was um, pleading with women to keep their children and offering her, offering them any help um, that she or our church could provide. And so, yeah, I was definitely raised uh, in the pro-life movement, but it wasn't until my senior year of high school when I uh, did my senior project on abortion um, that sort of everything changed. I was homeschooled through eighth grade, went to public high school, 
and my senior year, I selected the topic of abortion uh, for my senior project. And my public high school told me, well, you can't pick that topic. Um, that's on our senior project guidelines on the website. You, if you, you go read it and you can't pick it. So I threatened a lawsuit, told them to read the Constitution. Um, they backed off, and I went ahead and did that, that topic anyways. Huh. Um, and I volunteered at a pro-life organization in Orange County for my volunteer hours that were required for that project for all seniors to graduate. And the first task that this organization had me do was to um, scan about 300 images of first trimester aborted children on their scanner and categorize them in their database. So here I am for about two six-hour shifts, two days in a row, staring at the bloodied limbs and body parts of children who were ripped apart through abortion in the first trimester. Now, this is a trimester in which 90% of abortions are performed in America, mm -hmm. and it's also the trimester in which there's the greatest public support for abortion, right? So public support for abortion in the country plummets once you hit the second, and then certainly once you hit the third trimester. In fact, according to a Gallup poll in 2019, the percentage of Americans who believe that third trimester abortions should be legal is 13%. Um, but first trimester, there's massive public approval. And, and it's, that approval is sort of justified by the language of, you know, blob of tissue. It's, it's inside right. the blob of tissue. It's not a human being. It doesn't even look like a human being. Well, no, no, no. They, these look like tiny humans. You can see fingers, developed fingers, eyeballs, faces, noses, um, very horrific graphic imagery. Um, and so I, I find it ironic that um, that while abortion imagery um, angers people to no end, um, abortion itself doesn't. And so it, it's quite interesting how upset and angry people would get when you show them abortion imagery, especially if it's in the public square. And it makes you question, if, if abortion is such a great idea, why does a simple picture of it make you so angry? Um, because it shows the heinous act that you defend. That's right. the answer. And reality has an annoying tendency of reasserting itself in our lives and slapping us in the face. Um, and that reality um, needs to reassert itself in the American, in the minds of the American public, because the bad ideas that the approval for abortion is based on is, as I said earlier, the same bad ideas that every historical genocide has been based on, which is that not all humans are person. Not a personhood. So that's, how, that's how I got involved. Went to Westmont College, a horrible Christian college in Santa Barbara, California. <clears throat> um, listeners, never send your children there. Um, this college is sort of on its way to where Yale and Princeton and so many um, universities that were founded as seminaries has gone, which has just become a leftist indoctrination camp. Right. And so what's not called is probably one of the furthest left or most uh, quote unquote progressive Christian colleges in the country. They actually hire pro-abortion professors. Um, and I could give you the names of some professors there who signed a statement of faith to teach at a Christian college, but who also support legal abortion and believe that women should have the moral and legal right to murder their own unborn children, who according to those professors would be image bearers of God because you signed a statement of faith. Um, so, so that's how ridiculous my alma mater is. Yeah. I started the first pro-life club at that college as a freshman in 2010, and then I was the president of that club for all four years. Um, my junior year, I stood on campus with abortion photos because the college had refused to allow me to bring out an outside organization and to do a very professional uh, display for two days um, of abortion imagery that compares it to other historically recognized forms of genocide. Um, they, they refused to allow me to conduct that display for three years in a row. So uh, by my junior year, I just did it myself. I created a firestorm. I was on a bunch of sort of conservative or quote unquote Christian publications like Christianity Today, which has become a total joke. And the, the college got a ton of flack. Um, because I made the case that they were hiding the reality of abortion, they were hiring pro-abortion professors, and that they refused to take a position on the issue of abortion. And so that was sort of the next chapter in my journey, because I, I for the first time, as a freshman, encountered the not just the apathy of Christians on abortion, um, but the approval of abortion by Christians. Um, far from just allowing it to happen, many of them actually condone it. And these are the individuals shaping the minds of the next generation um, with ideas that couldn't be further from a Christian worldview. Um, so that's how I got involved, and then I, I started doing this work full-time when I graduated college. Wow. Seth, for the sake of the audience, can you give an overview? I mean, we could start in 1973 with Roe versus Wade, but now when you come forward, and I'm, I'm you know the, the numbers, but I'm, I'm guessing 60 million, is that is that in the right ballpark? Give us some statistics. Yeah, abortion was, was legalized in 1973, 
in America at the federal level in the Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton decision. Those decisions together, gentlemen, legalize abortion through point of birth. Um, many individuals don't know this. I've had I've, I've actually had Christians and pastors look at me in the face and call me a liar. Because because be, why you shouldn't be saying that to young people. Um, and I go, well, that just shows your ignorance. Abortion is legal for all nine months of pregnancy. I could show you yellow page ads that Planned Parenthood was running in the 80s, advertising oh. third trimester abortions. Um, so if it was illegal, how did they get a how did they get an ad published with yellow right. pages advertising third trimester abortions and telling you how much it costs? I could show you the Guttmacher Institute statistic. That's Planned Parenthood's statistical research branch that reports that um, third trimester abortions account for something like, uh, oh, what is it, uh, 1, 1.5 to 2% of, um, or between 1 and 3% of the annual abortions. Um, now, you know, it's like, oh, well, that sounds like a small number, 1 to 3%. Yeah, <laughs> but um, when you kill a million babies a year, um, small percentages represent large numbers. Right. <laughs> and so we're still killing um, uh, thousands of uh, babies just in the third trimester in America alone every year. So abortion is legal for all nine months of pregnancy. The, 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 the reason why people believe it isn't is for this one simple reason. Uh, the, the legal decisions, Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton, both decided in 1973, actually said that abortion um, was regulated in the third trimester um, and, and that it wasn't permitted legally unless, not ready for this, unless, Failure to get that late-term abortion um, impacted or affected the woman's life or health. Okay, now, many people believe that abortion should be allowed if it's a daydream of others' life um, because we don't want women to unnecessarily die. Um, I can get into that a little more because abortion is actually never necessary to save the life of the mother because you can always induce early labor or perform a cesarean session. Therefore, getting rid of the pregnancy without killing the child and therefore getting rid of the, the life threat to the mother's life. Anyway, but then the, the decision said, or the mother's health. Oh, okay, well, what does that mean? Because pregnancy always affects a woman's health, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, some women are on bed rest their entire pregnancy because they're incredibly sick, right? They can't keep food down. Some women um, have that pregnancy glow and they feel euphoric. <laughs> I mean, so it always affects your health. It's just a matter of degree, right? But what does that mean? What does that mean that a woman could get a third trimester abortion if it negatively impacted her health? Well, the courts didn't define the word health, gentlemen. So guess who they allowed to define what the word health meant in the pursuit of a third trimester abortion? The abortionist. Yeah. <laughs> the quote-unquote physician who has the financial incentive to treat the term health as a subjective piece of clay um, to make it fit his his preferences so that he can get paid for those very expensive third trimester abortions. So all that to say, gentlemen, all a woman need, needs to really say to get a third trimester abortion in America, even in a more pro-life state that has regulations, is to say, ah, I'm stressed out. <laughs> uh, I don't feel good. I'm, I'm, I'm having fights with my arguments with my husband. I have, I have a headache. I feel really sick, it's impacting my health. Okay, here's a third trimester abortion. So um, that's how easy it is to get around um, sort of that, that regulation on third trimester abortions. Yeah. Since 1973, we have killed over 63 million unborn children. That's a conservative estimate uh, because states are not required. Many states are not required. No, I'm sorry, no state is required to report their abortion data. And I believe um, only 27 of them do. Um, do you want to know one of the states that doesn't report their abortion data statistics? California, right. that performs oh, the greatest yeah. truckload of abortions every year. Yeah. So um, the numbers are likely much higher. And then with the abortion pill, it's hard to get accurate uh, numbers as well as how many babies are killed by the abortion pill. Now, talk well over 63 million. Now, now, is that fairly recent, the abortion pill? And is that a way they're getting a, uh, around the um, the Planned Parenthood? Where the, I heard now they could actually... Uh, do the mail out or that, that, that people are going online and they're actually mailing these things without a, uh, any kind of visit or consultation. Is that true, Seth? Yeah. So telemedicine abortions, uh, gentlemen, and for your listeners, um, are the new push of the abortion industry. It's actually what they've wanted for quite some time. Um, it, it, it's, um, it's sort of their pipe dream. Uh, the reason for that is because it, it enables them to get rid of all of their um, overhead costs associated with running brick-and-mortar abortion clinics. Okay, uh, so uh -huh. here's what I mean by that. When you run a brick-and-mortar abortion clinic, you have to pay the staff. You have to pay the lease on the building. You have to pay the third trimester, I'm sorry, the third-party um, 
organization uh, companies that come and dispose of the dead babies that you killed in hazardous waste containers. Um, you have to sometimes fly an abortionist all around the state because some states only have a couple individuals that can perform abortions. Um, uh, and so there's all of these different uh, costs associated with running brick and mortar abortion clinics. Well, the abortion pill is very cheap to manufacture, and you can ship it all over the country if if you're allowed to. Now the FDA has had these risk evaluation and mitigation strategy requirements. It's called their REMS requirements. And it requires that um, the prescribers of the abortion pill only give the abortion pill, okay, ready, to women in an in-person evaluation. Right. And the, the reason for that in-person evaluation requirement prior to getting the abortion pill is twofold. Firstly, you actually perform an ultrasound, and the reason you do that is, is to rule out the possibility of ectopic pregnancy, right? Now, right. an ectopic pregnancy is when the baby implants in the fallopian tube, one of the mother's two fallopian tubes. When implantation happens there rather than the uterus, the baby begins to develop just like he or she would do in the uterus. But the fallopian tube is very narrow. That's not where implantation is supposed to occur. So that baby begins to develop. The fallopian tube starts to stretch and expand. And if you've left untreated in a few weeks, the fallopian tube will burst. Baby will die and mother likely will die too, unless she can be treated very quickly. I see. So you have to rule out an ectopic pregnancy. You can't do that without an in-person evaluation and an ultrasound. Right. So it, it's kind of not even a pro-life thing, this, this in-person evaluation. It's not even a pro-life thing. It's just like, well, even if you hate unborn children, you should support this because you don't want the women obtaining abortions that you say you exist to serve to be unnecessarily harmed or killed. The second reason is because you have to diagnose the gestational age of the baby. The abortion pill is only taken through 10 weeks legally. It's only, it's only allowed to be taken through 10 weeks um, pregnancy. So many women misdate the gestational age of their pregnancy. Um, I'm friends with pro-life OBGYNs, and, and they've told me that um, women can be off from anywhere to one to six weeks off of the gestational age of their baby. So if a woman thinks that she's nine weeks pregnant and she takes the abortion pill, but she's actually 12 or 13, um, that, lead, that can lead to incomplete abortions, which leads dead baby body parts floating around in her uterus, mm. making her susceptible to sepsis and death. Okay, so that's the background to the abortion pill, and that's the reason why it hasn't been able to be shipped all around the country, right, via telemedicine or mail-in right. abortions, right? right yeah. But that's the pipe dream of the abortion industry. And just to give you some current context for you and your listeners on this, um, during the, the COVID-19 shutdowns, which I guess are still going on, Obviously, it's completely political stunt. This is not about our health. Right. Um, but the, the, one of the one of the ways that they used that um, was to push for telemedicine abortions, gentlemen. So they argued. Ready? Here was the argument: um, If a woman goes to an in-person evaluation to get the abortion pill um, with one other physician who are both wearing masks that I've been told are magically protected. If she's required to do that to get the abortion pill, she might breathe in COVID and die. Oh. <laughs> so, so they said that they, they said, "Hey FDA, we're going to sue you to get rid of your in-person evaluation requirement during COVID." Why? Because we care about women's health so much. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was their argument. Now, not of course preborn women's health, because they're trying to make it easier to poison preborn women in the womb through the abortion pill. But of course, you're not supposed to say that. So that was their argument, and uh, some leftist half of a pro-abortion circuit judge um, actually um, required and, and the ruled that the FDA had to um, stop enforcing their in-person evaluation. Um, th so then we were successful in the courts again. They had to, they had to uh, enforce that in-person evaluation requirement again. Now, we just elected the most pro-abortion political administration in American history, allegedly. Um, and so now Biden and Harris are just going to pack the FDA with abortion hacks who are likely not going to enforce um, the FDA's in-person evaluation. And I also know this because um, Planned Parenthood uh, congressional allies have just pushed to end the abortion pill safety requirements. Um, and this has been sort of backed by people like Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, of course, um, who are, who are um, fully supporting the removal of the in-person evaluation because the safety of the women they say they exist to serve doesn't matter if, if um, those safety requirements actually uh, harm abortion access, because that's all that the abortion industry cares about is abortion access. And the more women who can access abortion, the more money that they can make off of killing those children.
So, and because the abortion pill is only taken in the first trimester, gentlemen, and, and what did I tell you? What percentage of abortions are performed in the first trimester? 90%. And yeah. so there's also just a purely statistical incentive um, to focus on um, cheap abortions uh, in the greatest percentage of one abortion. Right, right. You know, I, Seth, just for a second, I want to give out contact information. Our listeners may want to read more and get involved. Uh, it's Seth, S-E-T-H. Gruber, G-R-U-B-E-R dot com. And you have a really nice uh, website. you got testimonials, uh, nice references here, too, and just how uh, people can get in touch with you and learn, you know, where you might be speaking, how they might be able to get involved, and uh, going from there. David, do you have yeah. a question? So, Seth, tell us a little bit more about the Life Training Institute. Where do you guys get your funding and, and explain the outreach programs that you have, how that works, how many people are employed with LTI. If you could, because this is the first I'm actually uh, getting familiar with Life Training Institute uh, since we were yeah, setting absolutely. up to interview you. Yeah, so we, tell we us a little more about we're, it. Yeah, we're, we're, like I said, we're a small but elite team of, of pro-life speakers, and, and we focus on changing minds and changing hearts uh, by attacking these ideas head on. And most of the schools we speak in, uh, we're told by students and teachers, wow, we never heard this before. We never heard this information before. It's like, well, yeah, that's why we do what we do. <laughs> Unfortunately, abortion has happened because of sort of an absence of moral teaching from the church um, and from faith-based schools, which kind of function as an extension of the arm of the church, right? Their, their, their goal is kind of the same, to equip and raise up the next generation to be ambassadors for Christ. And so, um, so that's what we focus on doing, partnering with those schools, churches, youth groups, and of course I speak in secular environments to hostile audiences well, because um, we have to contend with those people and with those ideas. Um, but we have four um, full-time pro-life speakers on staff. I'm the only one on the West Coast, the only one in California, um, and so also obviously very important battleground ground uh, here. Not a battleground state, that's not what I meant, but a battle ground. I mean, more babies are killed in California than any other state in the country. And I think California's killed more unborn children since 1973, since 1973 than the entire population of Canada. Um, and so that's that's what we focus on doing. Um, pro-life, you can go to prolifetraining.com to learn more or my website, setandruber.com. We are a nonprofit 501c3 uh, funded through donations um, of individuals who want to help us uh, get these ideas in front of young people. Um, I also have an exciting opportunity for your listeners. Um, I have a partner church of mine um, who cares so deeply about what I do that they are offering to pay my entire travel expenses and a small honorarium to get me into any church or youth group that doesn't have the financial um, ability to do so. So anyone listening to this, if you'd like to take advantage of that, you can reach out to me at uh, email Seth at SethGruber.com, or you can contact me through social media or my website, SethGruber.com. It's only for those who can't afford it. Otherwise, if you're a youth group or church that has a big budget, um, don't take advantage of it. Honor system here, okay? But if you would love to get these ideas or a talk at your church or youth group, and you're like, wow, we can't afford to fly him out from California and pay, pay him an honorarium, uh, then we're going to make it happen, and this church will underwrite all those expenses. So that's, just, that's just a part of what we do to try to get this in front of as many people as possible. Now, who do, you, who do you have out this way? Do you have anyone out this way? We, uh, I have a, a good friend named Mike Spencer. Uh, who lives up in that area, and he actually left recently. Uh, God called him to start his own thing that he's working on now. Um, and uh, so we don't have anyone on staff with life training if you're currently uh, okay. in that area. Okay. Yeah. But. David, you had another question? Yeah, so there was basically two institutes that I looked at. Let's start talking about the numbers, Seth, so that the listeners understand. Um, <clears throat> the Gut uh, Marker Institute uh, it seems a bit higher by 2 or 3% than the CDC data. Which one do you prefer? Um, I, I mean, I, I use both. I, I okay. often will uh, use the Guttmacher Institute just because that's Planned Parenthood statistical research branch. Okay. Um, so it's particularly if I'm, if I'm speaking to people, not that the CDC is all that for a lot, but if I'm speaking to people who disagree with me, I'm just citing their data. Okay. So uh, Guttmacher, when you take a look at 2017, 862,300 abortions. CDC was uh, a little bit less than that at 619, but the CDC numbers, that was in 47 states. It did not include the District of Columbia, California, Maryland, and New Hampshire. So um, how, how many abortions do you think occur in California every year? 
Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we have sort of estimates um, based off of uh, previous years and, right. and sort of ballpark estimates. Um, but it, it's very hard to know exactly because they're not required to report their abortion data at all. Right. Um, but yeah, but it's, I mean, you're, you're talking in the hundreds of thousands. Okay, so it could be even 20% of the total uh, yearly numbers in the U.S. alone in California, potentially, huh? Yeah. Okay, and then um, when you take a look, you know, I was looking at the world stats, and I it was staggering to see the number of abortions between 2015 and 19 at 73.3 million induced uh, abortions uh, worldwide. And when you take a look at, you know, the other thing that I don't think we really understand is the economic impact of this stuff. Uh, worldwide, it was $553 million for treating complications from unsafe abortions and also $6 billion for treating post-abortion infertility. Well, what do you think the U.S. is in terms of the economic impact after the abortion? Do you have any stats on that? Uh, no, I don't. But, but I mean, we've known for a long time that abortion negatively impacts women's health because it, I yeah. mean, that should be self-evident. Sure. It's not natural. It's not natural to forcibly dilate the cervix yeah. um, and to either suction a baby into a vacuum or if the baby's too big to start tearing the limbs off. The abortionist rearranges the limbs on the table to make sure he doesn't leave any floating baby parts in the mother's uterus. Yeah. Of course, these have negative consequences. There's been studies about showing the increased um, risk of breast cancer um, by several fold um, through getting an abortion. Of course, there's increased risk of, of uh, infertility and not getting pregnant um, through abortion, particularly if you're having multiple abortions. Um, and, and then, you know, because abortion is such a heinous act of violence, it's such a uh, intrinsic evil that we pretend it's just reproductive health care and that we justify under the mantle women's rights. Um, too many Americans are not aware of all of the familial, psychological, emotional fallout of, of um, how abortion has affected yeah. um, this country. Firstly and foremost, just being killing innocent human beings. Of course, that is, that is why abortion is wrong. But the way that it impacts families as well. So you talked about poverty, crime, and all these things. Of course, that has an impact on that. Um, and, uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh, who passed away yesterday, um, made, made this point brilliantly. You know, he said that he said, I think abortion is the root of so much that has and is going wrong in this country. Um, it's clearly had a profound impact on our culture, our society and our politics. He says, uh, because they even refuse to accept that abortion is more than what it is. To most people, it's just a woman's right to choose and it's nobody's business and they leave it alone and don't want to talk about it. But it's really had much more an impact on this country. It's had an impact on crime. It's had a profound impact on our politics. And it's at the root of our cultural rot and decay. Um, and so it, it's just going to be self-evident that you're going to have just negative repercussions of abortion on, on the literal, literal physical bodies of, of women, uh, on their mental health, mm -hmm. uh, on suicidality, on yep. crime, on broken families. That should sort of just be self-evident. But of course, the abortion industry and the abortion rights movement, they deny all of that, right? And you'll hear yeah. people say that, you know, actually, abortion is safer than childbirth. And you'll hear these ridiculous lies that they sort of have to resort to. Uh, to sort of, you know, indoctrinate the public. So, Seth, where, from your point of view, what do you see in terms of, is there any positive trends? Is there any growing awareness or pushback? Do you see, or is it lessening? What's your sense of this? Now, I know we're in a whole new zone here politically and everything else. What, what is your take from your vantage point? Yeah, I mean, Gallup polls on, on this have shown that America... And the next generation is more pro-life than their parents. The yeah, millennials that's what, yeah. were more pro-life than their parents. And Gen Z appears to be more pro-life than millennials. Um, and so, and so that's good. I think there are there are cultural improvements. Uh, the problem with some of those statistics is that if you ask, uh, if you poll the American public and you ask them, are you pro-life or pro-choice? Uh -huh. You continue you continue to get something around 50-50 split, you know, or, or close to there. But then if you also ask, <laughs> if you also ask. Do you support Roe versus Wade or not? Uh, you get significantly more than 50% who say they support Roe versus Wade. So you kind of have to scratch your head and go, wait, wait, wait a second. But 50% of you said you're pro-life, so 50% of you should be opposed to Roe versus Wade, which legalized abortion. Right. And so there, there's, this, um, segment, there's this segment of the American public, 
and you're going to be familiar with this term when I say it, who describe themselves as personally pro-life. Right, <laughs> right. So I wouldn't get an abortion, or if I'm, you know, if you're a parent, I wouldn't tell my daughter to kill my own grandchild. Um, but, you know, that's just me. <laughs> I don't think that we should tell others how to live. What they mean by that is I don't think we should tell others not to kill their own children. Um, and so there's still a lot of moral confusion on the issue of abortion. Um, and that's, you know, proof in the pudding of, of, of the ability of people to say, this thing is wrong because it kills a baby, so I won't do it. But also other people should be able to kill babies. Right. Um, and and pe- people argued like this during slavery, right? I mean, Stephen Douglas, who ran against Abraham Lincoln in 1860, he was personally opposed to slavery. Right. He, he personally didn't like it. He, he wouldn't buy slaves. But he argued that each state should have the right to vote slavery up or down. That's his words, not mine. So he mm-hmm. believed that, that ah, we should just let people decide whether to purchase human beings and treat them like cattle. But, I, you know, I won't do that. Right. You know I mean, so it's just, just such a ridiculous confusion. And this stems from bigotry, right? Because bigotry is a powerful thing. Um, I mean, did you, do you think that racists thought they were bigots? No. Do pro-choice individuals think that they're bigots? No, if you talk to a pro-choice, they'll say that they're they're for women's equality, (laughs) right? Um, But what's bigotry? Bigotry is discriminating against someone else for being different, particularly if it's based on immutable characteristics, right? That's why racism is so nasty and ugly, because we can't control our skin color. So if you discriminate on someone based off of immutable characteristics, that's particularly nasty. Um, So pro-choice does equal bigotry because the unborn can't control the fact that they're smaller and more dependent. Right. In fact, it's in virtue of being an unborn human being to be smaller and more dependent. And that's where kind of where we all found ourselves at one point. Um, But pro-choicers don't think they're bigots, but that's how powerful bigotry is. It's so powerful. It blinds you to what should be obvious truths about human nature. And so that type of bigotry is really... um, has really grown in the minds of the American public such that so many people could say they're pro-life um, and then turn around and say, but abortion should remain legal. And so, of course, what I would say to those people is, well, then you're not pro-life. Pro-life people don't support legal abortion. They work to make it illegal. Um, but we're seeing a lot of fruit in the younger generation. And I think God is actually using um, the COVID-19 shutdowns and the, uh, the refusal of our government to protect our liberty. Right, our natural right to, to work, to freely associate where we choose, to run our businesses in accordance with our best judgment, to worship God, to go to church. I think a lot of uh, pastors and churches are finally awakening to the fact that by abdicating their, um, their responsibility to engage in the public square, um, leftists who hate God have filled those institutions with political power. Um, and so rather than God-fearing men and women um, dwelling in positions of political power, pagans who hate God are dwelling in positions of political power and are now telling the church, you don't even have the right to worship God. And I think God is using that to wake up a lot of pastors, young people in churches to say, we need to wake up and start engaging again. Um, and that's creating courage. Um, and so I have gotten more requests to speak in churches in the last six months than I have in my entire speaking is that right? Um, and that's because people are waking up and they're saying, okay, I've said I'm pro-life for a long time, but I haven't done anything about it. And I think, I think, you know, I think conservatism is an inclination. What I mean by that is I think many Christians are conservative um, just by default. They, they, they're inclined to that because it's self-evident, because it makes sense. And what would be a self-evident truth? Uh, all human beings are created equal, endowed by their creator, <laughs> with certain inalienable sure. rights, but among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And there's an inclination to conservatism because it's just self-evident. Because, because as long as natural rights are denied to some people, namely pre-born children, then there can be no natural rights for all people. Right. If our government is going to deny the natural right to life to an entire class of human beings, preborn children, that government cannot be trusted to protect any other right that flows from that person most important of all rights. <laughs> so if our government says actually the right to life is a myth and you can be murdered in the womb, then how can I trust you to protect my natural right to liberty and property, which presupposes my right to life? Um, I think I think now how many pastors are gonna are gonna articulate it with those words? Probably not many, but there it's an inclination, right? It's self-evident. They just kind of get it at a, at a at a deep level that if I don't start contending on life itself, 
and the life of the preborn. All of our other rights are going to deteriorate in this republic where political power is put into the hands of we, the people. So, so that's a very long-winded answer to, uh, to your question. Right. So is, Seth, I, there, I think there's a wait, there's an awakening, and, and it's time for us to engage. So Seth, I, a follow-up question from the earlier. Do, does the government or um, does anybody come against you when you use images of the babies that have been scalded or, you know, torn apart in the process of a late-term abortion? Or is that under freedom of press you don't have any problem or the government doesn't come against you if, let's say, you had those displayed, uh, if you're doing a uh, presentation or you're doing a yeah, display? Freedom of speech. Uh, pardon me? Yep. yep, freedom of speech. No problem. Uh, and, yep, no, I mean, I mean no, no problem constitutionally. Okay. But, but in the real world, of course, there's people who are always angry about it. Um, I've, I've sort of conducted these genocide awareness projects on university campuses all throughout California. Uh-huh. And uh, many times the uh, administration will say, you know, we're not going to allow you to show that. And so the, the student group on campus who's having us out just sues the university. And, and you know, we've always won um, because um, that, that is, uh, you know, that is First Amendment, you know, right to free speech. And you can't just... Um, discriminate based on viewpoint or based on content because you're triggered by the images, right? What our, about our a billboard? What about a billboard? Yeah, yeah. No. If you can get the, you know, obviously those are you, know, you have to pay a, a private sure, owner, sure. you know, to, for the ability. So many, many people won't allow, uh, you know, through how they want to run their own business. Of Got course, it. They won't allow for Alexis to pay for those kind of ads. But yeah, we've got on billboards. We've flown them on on banners on planes. Okay. Uh, we put them on box body trucks. Wow. Uh, I don't do this now, but uh-huh. I, I've done this with an organization that I was on staff with uh, during college as, a, as an intern. Um, and they drive those in, in swing states during elections, uh, leading okay. up to elections to show people the horror of the procedure that that Democrat politician supports. I think I've seen that. Them. I think I saw that on the news. Okay. I was just curious if they, yeah. if they push back. Okay. <clears throat> David, you have yeah. yeah. So, Seth, I'm curious of how you approach... The presentation when you go into churches, you said there's been an absence of moral teaching from the churches. How do you go in and um, not sound like a threat? Um, how do you position it when you do go into a church? Yeah, so um, I'll give you the, the brief, very brief summary of my church presentations. Uh, it goes <laughs> like this. Um, we as Christians um, are called to protect life. And we are told that every human being is created in the image of God, and we're told to love our neighbors. So we have a biblical obligation and command to do as Proverbs 24, 11 says, which is to hold back those staggering towards slaughter. And Proverbs 31, 8, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and ensure justice for those being crushed, which is, by the way, a very good explanation and description of abortion that crushes little babies quite literally. And so what is the role of the church, right? What, so you flock, you pastor, what, what are you called to do? Well, you're called to the Great Commission, right? So make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's it, right? No. And then teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's what Jesus says before his ascension. So we're called to create disciples and then disciple disciples, right? To teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. Well, Christ in his brilliance summarized all of his commandments uh, to two. All the law of the prophets hang on these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so is the unborn our neighbor? Well, if they're a human, they're a neighbor, right? right. <laughs> and isn't that what made the question of the lawyer in the parable of the Good Samaritan so offensive? He asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> but he knew that every human being was his neighbor, because before that, Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer nailed the question. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he knew his Bible. Um, but then he says, in order to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbor? He was trying to create categories of neighbor and non-neighbor in order to shirk himself of his responsibility of loving those that he doesn't want to, or those that are inconvenient to love, such right. as the pre-born. And so the Bible is very clear that every human being is a neighbor. And the Bible says that every human being is an image-bearer of God. In Genesis, God creates human beings in his image, in his likeness. Male and female, he creates them in the image of God. He creates them. And so unborn children are human beings, the science is clear, but they're also image bearers, <laughs> because the Bible says every human being is created in the image of God. Okay, so we're, we're, the unborn is a human, they're an image bearer, and we're called to love our neighbor. So the question for, the, for you, church, becomes this. How do you love a neighbor that it's legal to kill, that it's legal to murder? 
Preborn children. How do you love a neighbor that it's legal to kill? Well, I'll tell you something. If it was legal to kill pro-lifers, gentlemen, um, I would appreciate um, many different efforts to love me. But do you know what? which way I would want uh, people to love me first? Um, make it illegal to kill me. <laughs> I would want you to pass laws that said, actually, it's illegal to kill pro-lifers, and you can't do that. The first and most important way to love a class of neighbors that it is legal to kill <laughs> is to make it illegal to kill them. That should be self-evident. Um, and so we engage in the political square, in the political sphere, to pass laws to protect the preborn. That is our duty. And, and those who don't like where that reasoning leads simply are not possessed of a lively sense that there are real human beings getting killed in these surgeries, as Hadley Ark says. Because if you were possessed of that lively sense that these image bearers and human beings are being murdered, then you would demand the same political solutions for them as you would for yourself if it was legal to kill you, which is the past laws to make it illegal to kill them. And so I, I equip the church to defend their pro-life position. I go into the science, I go into the philosophy, I go into the arguments um, so that they're equipped to engage in and defend their beliefs. But I also make the case for political clarity, right? Because for too long, the church has been saying, yeah, we're pro-life. Yeah, yeah, we believe that unborn children are created in the image of God. Ooh, but engage in politics? Ooh, we're not a political church, um, guys, so we don't do that. Uh, but the very churches that say that, gentlemen, would never say that if they were plopped down in 1850, right, during during slavery in America. Every Christian pastor in America today, if you, if you ask them, hey, if you had a time machine and you could go back to 1850, um, right before the, uh, the presidential runoff between that racist Democrat, Stephen Douglas, and then Abraham Lincoln, what would you do as a church? You know, would you just say you're not political? Or what would you do? Every pastor would say, oh, I'd be, I'd be getting out to help GOP Republicans get elected because <laughs> that was the only party that, that was trying to end slavery. So, so every sort of pastor would suddenly become a Republican hack if it was 1850 because he would recognize the political realities on the ground, which is that only one party offers a solution to protect our black image bearers and brothers and sisters. Well, today, only one party <laughs> presents the Christians an opportunity to protect the freeborn, and it's the same party, the Republican Party, while the Democratic Party believes the same thing today that they did then, which is that not all humans are persons. So that, that's sort of the case I make in churches, is, is, is to call people to account, to call them to engage, to give them a call to arms, and then to give them a trap to run on, to end abortion in their communities, and to love their freeborn neighbors and their mothers. So, so Seth, what would a... What would a church that embraces your message, what would that look like being practically uh, worked out? What would you, you come back in a year and you say, whoa, you guys took the message and really ran with it. What would that look like to you? Yeah, amen. Well, I, I always ask pastors to, <clears throat> to ask themselves this. <clears throat> if it was legal um, for Planned Parenthood to kill two-year-olds, to kill toddlers, um, and women were walking their toddlers into facilities that killed toddlers, um, and you were forced to fund it with your tax dollars, what would you do as a pastor of a church in a local community where that was legal? <clears throat> well, I think most Christians would go stand outside of those killing centers and plead with women to not kill their toddlers, offer to raise the toddlers as their own, to, to fill in any financial uh, gap of struggle um, that, the, that the family is using as a justification to kill their toddler, um, and we would be outside of those centers. Well, we know where these centers are. And, there, and, and there's only one class of human beings that it's legal to kill, uh, pre-born image bearers. And so the role of the church is quite simple. It, it's kind of the same thing that the Good Samaritan did, gentlemen. He saw a bleeding victim, and rather than pretending to be anti-street bugging like the Levite and the priest, rather than walking by on the other side of the road and feeling compassion but not taking compassion, right. the Good Samaritan took compassion, and he bandaged the wounds of a bleeding victim and saved his life as he was dying. Well, these preborn children are being taken to appointments that their parents have scheduled, and that appointment is the dismemberment of their own child. Um, we can stand outside of the doors of death and graciously and lovingly plead with parents who are walking in to choose life for their children and promising to give them anything and everything that they would need if it was sufficient to dissuade them to enter that building. And 40 Days for Life has found, gentlemen, that during their prayer campaign, which just started yesterday for their annual campaign, they found that when abortion staff workers, employees leave the industry, they have told 40 Days for Life time and again, gentlemen, time and again, that, hey, uh, you know, now that I'm for a life, just wanted to tell you guys, uh, when I was working in the abortion centers, we would see uh, upwards of 75% no-show for abortion appointments when you, when you pesky Christians were out there praying and wow. talking to women. So when Christians show up, gentlemen, 
and say, ma'am, 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 please don't kill your child. We're here for you. We love you. Um, we, we have everything you need. What do you need? We have housing. We have a job for you. We'll take care of that child. We'll help you out. What do you need? When Christians do that, gentlemen, upwards of 75% of children whose deaths are on the calendar are saved. So I partnered with an organization called Love Life out of Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm an ambassador for them. We work very closely together. Their goal is to put a Christian witness outside every abortion clinic in the country every day. Because we know that when Christian shows up, shows up, lives are saved. And if we wanted to, the church could end abortion. You know, Francis Schaefer once said, gentlemen, that every abortion clinic ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, and unfortunately, that is not just a stinging rebuke, but it's a true rebuke. Um, and abortion is happening on the watch of the church because we're called to love our neighbor and they are being killed. And Jesus made it very clear in the parable of the Good Samaritan that when bleeding victims are being taken advantage of, you're not just to preach the gospel to them. I want you to notice, listeners, you guys, I want you to notice that the Good Samaritan didn't lean over the bleeding victim <laughs> and say, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he saved his life, right? He took him to an inn, he nursed him back to health, and then he paid the innkeeper any other costs that accumulated in caring for that bleeding victim while he was gone. So the Good Samaritan made radical sacrifices of his time, his energy, and his money to love a bleeding victim. We need to do the same for our pre-born image bearers who are bleeding victims, sacrifice our time, our energy, and our money. So our time by standing outside of abortion centers, pleading with women to choose life, our energy by equipping ourselves to engage, right, and by knowing how to defend life, because most people are not equipped to offer a case for life, and so that's why I'm here, and then sacrificing their money donating to pro-life organizations, uh, offering families to fill in the financial gap to save their children. Um, we're called, I think, to make the same sacrifices for our bleeding victims as the Good Samaritan did in that parable, told by Christ himself, our Savior, who was himself an unborn child, who entered the womb of a woman that he once knit together and became a zygote, the prenatal God, and then born to redeem mankind from their sins. And so if you guys want to learn more or end abortion in your communities and adopt personal responsibility like the Good Samaritan did to save bleeding victims, go to lovelife.org forward slash America, lovelife.org forward slash America, and just fill out an interest form and they'll reach out to you. We're building church partners all around the country. We just launched the first California West Coast partner because they're primarily in, in Charlotte, New York on the, on the uh, East Coast. And that's our goal as a Christian witness outside every abortion center in the country. If we do that, gentlemen, We could bankrupt the abortion industry in a matter of years, and the politics would soon follow because we'd be contending for the soul of the republic itself. Because a country that denies the natural right to life to an entire subset, entire segment of their population that they're created to protect will not last. In fact, we will deteriorate on every other right that this republic was founded to preserve. And so, uh, yeah, go ahead. Is that on your site, lovelife.org? Oh, is no, that... it's not. But you can find um, you can find all that you need to know about them on lovelife.org, and then lovelife.org forward slash America um, is sort of the the landing page for people who are ready to engage, who want to actually do something, to reach out, to get equipped. So they provide a, a track for churches to run on who are ready to engage. So you don't have to face the overwhelming um, job description of launching a pro life ministry at your church okay. when you've never done when you've never done it before. They've already built that out. There's a track for you to run on. And they'll equip and train you up uh, to begin implementing that at your church. Okay. So uh, once again, I want to uh, tell of this contact information. Anyone listening today? Of course, this is WNZN Radio coming to you from Lorain, Ohio, eighty-nine point one FM. Our special guest today has been Seth Gruber, and um, this is pro-life training that they have. People that are uh, churches, individuals that are uh, want to get more involved in saving the lives of these babies. Uh, tremendous message you just gave about the Good Samaritan, uh, Seth. I mean, it relates on so many points that we're talking about here and saving the life of the uh, unborn little baby. And then you also gave out this contact information for more training, lovelife.org, just as it sounds, L-O-V-E-L-I-F-E.org. You get more information there. And um, God willing, we'll have you on again, Seth, if you have free time or if you're ever in this area. I'm hoping that people that are listening even now, we're going to do a follow-up. We're certainly, David and I, are really blessed to have you on and to share your heart and your message. Uh, I just think, uh, you know, I mean, we got to do, you know, we got to get yeah. more involved, involved. Yes. Uh, but uh, 
something we can present to our church, you know? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Amen. Yeah. 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 Let yeah. me know. I'm happy to fly out there. Again, any church or youth group that doesn't have the funds, um, my church partner would cover, cover all travel expenses in an honorarium. And then any any uh, Protestant or Catholic high schools, youth groups that we can get into. Um, the time is now. It's time for the church to wake up, uh, begin engaging in that dirty word politics um, in order to protect the freeborn. But we don't wait for the politics. Yes, we help GOP Republicans get elected with spines of steel, not squishes, spines of steel who will protect the freeborn. Um, but we also don't wait for the politics. We begin saving saveable babies now by standing outside of the doors of death and pleading with mothers to choose life and saying that we are here for you. Got it. I, I have one more thing before we close here, Seth. Uh, if we have some women listening uh, that are struggling with that they're going to do an abortion for an unwanted pregnancy or whatnot, what resources, where do they go for help? Because uh, if they are going to keep the baby or try and find a path for adoption, where would you steer them in this sea of uh, sites I see out there? Uh, what would you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I haven't uh, been to uh, Ohio before. I don't know all of the pregnancy centers, but I know that, that there are several. I know uh, there's a pregnancy center in Greater Toledo. I know there's a Southern Ohio Pregnancy Center. I believe there's a, a pregnancy center in uh, Cincinnati as well. Uh, pregnancy centers are the ones on the front lines of this fight. Um, okay. They're the ones who are providing all of their resources for free, minus the baby butchery part. So if you're listening to this and, and you've been contemplating abortion, uh, listen, there are more than twice as many pregnancy resource centers in the country as abortion clinics. Many well, people don't know that. I didn't know that. Um, no. And so we're here ready to save children. These uh, organizations have many church partners or donors who will also fill in the financial gap if a woman just simply can't pay the bills. Obviously, financial struggle is not a justification for abortion by any means. But why wouldn't we as Christians just eradicate that? Um it, 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 it is. It in so doing, we could save her child's life. Right. Um, you, can, you can also check out lovelife.org. Um, they have 150 church partners in Charlotte, hmm. North Carolina alone, um, who are standing by ready to fill in the financial gap for women who are struggling. Um, if you're struggling with domestic abuse or a, you know, a, a crappy father or boyfriend who's, who's pressuring you to get an abortion, uh, leave them um, and come to, the, to a local pregnancy resource center. Um, and to, to, because these are the people who will actually help you, um, who have organizations and partnerships set up to get you out of dangerous situations, if, if that's the situation you find yourself in, and to give you all that you need to choose life. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so if you're, if you're listening to this and you're contemplating abortion, please don't. Please don't kill your child. That is a human being. That your baby's heart is already beating. It was beating probably before you knew you were pregnant. Um, and you don't want to live with the thought that you arranged the death of your own child. So the church, Christians, pro-lifers, we're here for you. We, we support you, um, and we're going to give you anything and everything you need to choose life. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's Seth. a good summary, yeah, Seth. Yeah, that is. Great, great summary, great Seth. Great resources you. and your passion, and, um, yeah, to wake us all up, you know, to this, this Holocaust. And uh, thank you again, Seth, for taking your time. I know you had a busy schedule, and— um, this show should be out next week. The week after that is we, we got a, like a week or two lag now that we're in COVID. But um, God bless you and yeah. all you do, Seth. And uh, let everybody out there, again, if you want to get in touch with Seth, that's Seth, S-E-T-H, Gruber, G-R-U-B-E-R.com. Uh, excellent resource. Uh, be in contact with him and even invite him out uh, because he's offered this incredible benefit. So God bless you, Seth, and all that you do. Thank you, guys. Take care, Seth. Take care, buddy. God bless you. God bless you. Bye.